All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Uh, This morning, we are continuing our series on the parables of Jesus, uh, while Pastor Sergey is out on sabbatical. So again, thank you for the, the privilege and opportunity to get to preach. And again, if you don't like it, stick around. Um, but we, we have seen and we continue to see that Jesus, as he uses parables and stories, he does this both to hide truth from those with hard hearts who don't want to hear God's word, and he uses it to reveal truth to those who have ears to hear. So as we preach through parables and as we today have another a uh, parable that is well known, the parable of the Good Samaritan, I want to encourage us again, you and me, to listen to God's word with ears that will hear. Let it take deep root in your heart. Don't leave it in the realm of interesting facts or neat ideas. Instead, hear God's word as the living God speaking to you. Let the Holy Spirit work in you through his word. Let him remove the rocks in your life so that the word can can root deeply and provide lasting and real transformation. Let the spirit tear out the weeds that are in your heart that distract you from him so that the word can produce fruit in your life. So open up your ears and your hearts to receive God's word. Today, as I said, we're looking at the parable of the Good Samaritan, which comes, the parable itself comes as an answer to a rather disingenuous lawyer who asks some really good questions. Um, My outline is this, with maybe each point getting progressively longer. So just because we're on point three, don't expect to leave. Maybe, we'll see. Um, So my first point, first we will look at the first question and answer that the lawyer gives and that Jesus gives. Uh, Then we'll look at the second question and the answer of the parable that Jesus gives. And then finally, we will try to locate ourselves in the parable. Where do we see ourselves? Where do we fit? My sermon in a sentence is that God's love for us enables and empowers us to love our neighbor. God's love for us enables and empowers us to love our neighbor. With that, let's read our text from Luke 10 25 through 37. And behold, a lawyer stood up in front of him, or stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, 
passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sat him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? And he said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. So we'll start with the first question and the first answer in verse 25. So I'll read that again. And the reason I keep going back to to reading the scripture is because then I'm sure that God is speaking. So I know when we read scripture, um, it is God's word and it is what has authority. So the first question we find right away in verse 25. The lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. He said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. The lawyer starts out his question. He starts this interaction not with a question to understand. The lawyer is not asking here to learn. He's asking to test. He's asking to see who is Jesus? What kind of teacher is he? How is he going to answer this difficult question? So he asks, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now the question may be a little disingenuous, may be asked as a, as a testing, but it is a big question. It is a really important question. He's essentially asking, Jesus, how do I enter the kingdom of God? How do I enter the kingdom of heaven? How do I get to be with God. Jesus is unfazed by the disingenuous question, and he's unfazed by the bigness of the question. And as he often does, Jesus answers this question with a question of his own. He says, you're a lawyer. Again, not a lawyer like we think of a lawyer, but a lawyer who would have studied and known the law, lawyer study of the law, not not law of today, but God's law. He says, you're a lawyer. You know the law. You know the scriptures well. What do you think? What's written in the law? How do you read it? He turns the question back on the lawyer. The lawyer, he does know the law. He does know scripture, and he answers well. In fact, he sums up all of the law in two commands. Elsewhere, Jesus does the same thing when he's asked, what are the greatest commands? What's the greatest command in all of the law? Jesus gives the same answer that the lawyer gives here. The lawyer says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. Again, this summarizes all of the law into two big commands, love God and love others. Love God with everything you are, with all of the human experience, with all of human existence, love God with your heart, with your soul, with your mind, with your strength. This is the first and greatest command. From it comes everything else. 
And the second, which we'll be talking more about today, because Jesus talks about it with this parable, love your neighbor as yourself. Not just love your neighbor, not be kind to your neighbor, not be nice to your neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. And we see this comes from the first commandment. And then Jesus gives, um, to, to me, a rather surprising response to the lawyer's answer. He says to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and live. And I'm thinking, what? That's not, that's not what we hear very often. It sounds like maybe Jesus is offering a works-based salvation. You know, just obey the law and you'll live. But Jesus knows the heart of the lawyer. He knows the human heart. He knows people. In fact, I think here he's showing us and he's showing the lawyer, you are unable to inherit eternal life. You are unable to enter the kingdom of heaven on your own. Why? Because the standard is too high. The standard is to love God with every fiber of your being, always perfectly, and to always love your neighbor as yourself. That's the standard. Do this and you will live. We know Jesus is not saying uh, a works-based salvation. Um, Other places in Scripture, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. The only way to inherit eternal life is trust in Jesus' perfect love for his Father, and Jesus' perfect love for his neighbor, and Jesus' perfect love for us that forgives our sin. But Jesus isn't, he's not talking about that right now. He does that, and we bring that in because we preach all of Scripture, but, but right now Jesus is pointing out to the lawyer You're not as good as you think. You can't inherit eternal life by doing. He knows the lawyer's asking the question. He knows why. He knows what's coming back. And I think the lawyer feels that too. I think the lawyer knows, I have not loved my neighbor as myself. I think he knows that he hasn't loved God as, as with his whole being as well. But instead of asking the right follow-up question to that, which would be, Jesus, I haven't loved perfectly. How can I be forgiven? And, and how can I love the Lord with my whole heart? And how can I love my neighbor as myself? Instead, we see with the lawyer, much as we see with us often, his pride flares up, and he tries to justify himself. Now we get to the second question in our parable. The lawyer says, who is my neighbor? Again, another disingenuous question. This question the lawyer is not asking so he can think, man, are there people out there I haven't been loving? I really want to love more people. Instead, the lawyer asks this question thinking, but who don't I have to love? Who is my neighbor? Not everyone can be my neighbor. So who's, who's my neighbor? Who don't I have to love? Come on. I'm good. I'm better than I think. According to the commentaries that I have looked at, the prevailing thought of the rabbis of the day is that to love your neighbor meant just to love other Jewish people, to love other people of the faith. So as long as you did that, you were good. We will see through Jesus' answer um, that Jesus takes it much, much further. So to the Jew, they weren't required to or expected to love the Samaritan or the Gentile. But we'll see, Jesus doesn't allow for this kind of thinking. 
Another objection that I think um, maybe we often have, or I often have, is if Jesus were to just simply answer with everyone, love everyone, love everyone equally, well, to me, that seems utterly impossible and overwhelming. How can I love everyone? How can I love everyone equally? There's too many people. I don't have the time. I don't have the resources. How do I love everyone? So I'd be tempted to quickly give up. Well, I can't love everyone. I can't love all of my neighbors as myself. But Jesus' answer, it leaves no room for excluding people or for giving up. His answer is much more practical, although difficult. He tells a story which both teaches us the right questions to ask and is convicting to all who hear it. And the parable is this, starting in verse 30. Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. When he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. This is the answer that he gives, and then he asks the question back to the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? Not who is my neighbor, but who proved to be a neighbor. The lawyer answered, the one who showed mercy. So this is a well-known story. We've probably heard it um, often, and the first part of the story would not be too surprising to the original hearers. The road to Jeru- from Jerusalem to, to Jericho was a dangerous place with a stretch of, of ample hiding places. Robbers could easily jump out and surprise and attack, um, and it would not have been uncommon for a man to be traveling to be robbed. So as people hear that, they, they hear the story, and they, they know Jesus is telling a point, and they're like, yeah, okay, so a man goes and he gets robbed, and he's, okay, got it, that's, that's bad, it shouldn't happen, but we're pretty familiar with that. Uh, the next part of the story might be a little more surprising. So after the man is beaten and left for dead, first a priest walks by and sees the man. The hearers might think, well, surely a priest. A priest will be the hero of the story. Jesus will show us how to love your neighbor with a priest, someone who ministers before God and, and brings people into the presence of God. So surely this, this person knows the law, understands that we should love our neighbor as ourselves and will do what is right. But he doesn't stop. Not only does he not stop, but he goes to the other side of the street. He doesn't want to look on the man. He doesn't want to have to think about the man. So he moves over and keeps walking. Next comes a Levite. Maybe he'll stop. Maybe he'll help. But if we're careful listeners, eh, probably not. Jesus says likewise. So the priest didn't stop. Likewise, a Levite comes. So 
Maybe now, as first-time listeners, we don't have a whole lot of hope that the Levite will come, but maybe he will. Again, someone who is a, a priest, but not of the line of Aaron, who, again, knows the law and who ministers before people and before God. Maybe he will stop. But this person doesn't stop either and does the same thing. We all know he should, but he doesn't. Everyone who listens to the story knows that the people passing by, what they should do is they should stop and they should help the man, but they don't. Now, many people and many commentators have been quick uh, to point out that priests and Levites would become ceremonially unclean if they touched something that is dead. So maybe when they saw the man, they thought, maybe he's dead. After all, he was mostly dead. So you can insert your own Princess Bride joke there. But instead of checking on the man to see if he was dead, or if he could be helped, they passed by on the other side. At best, they decided to just assume that he was dead, and that if they touched him, they would be unclean. At worst, they saw, maybe they saw him move or groan or breathe and didn't care, passed by on the other side. At the very best, the priest and the Levite prioritized the wrong part of the law. To be ceremonially clean, but fail to keep the most important part of the law. Love for your neighbor. Jesus often teaches the religious leaders that this, that they get the wrong parts of the law. They prioritize the wrong things. And they deprioritize people. In Matthew 12, Jesus' disciples were eating grain on the Sabbath. They were picking grain and they were eating it. And the Pharisees, they came and they reprimanded Jesus, saying, don't you know the law? And Jesus says, don't you know the scriptures? And he ends his statement by saying this. This is Matthew 12, verse 7. If you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. Later on in that same passage, Jesus heals a man with a withered hand on the Sabbath. And again, is reprimanded, and the religious, religious leaders don't like it, and they say, you're breaking the Sabbath. And he says, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The law exists not to restrict people, but for the good of people. So at best here, the priest and the Levite got it wrong. At worst, they just didn't care. They didn't want to be inconvenienced. So this may have been shocking, but it may not have been super shocking because Jesus already has had um, run-ins with the religious leaders. But the next part of the story would be incredibly unexpected. After Jesus says, the priest and the Levite pass by and do nothing, he says, but, and at this point you're expecting, all right, now comes the hero. So first the priest does, and then likewise, the Levite comes and does nothing, but here comes the hero. Here's the one who's going to love the, the man who is hurt, who's going to take care of him. But a Samaritan comes, and you're like, no, okay. I guess we've got another person to go through before our hero comes. Certainly a Samaritan is not going to be a hero. We ex certainly expect the Samaritan, when he sees him, to pass by the other side. Samaritans and Jews did not like each other. They rarely talked to each other, let alone help each other. 
But here, when a Samaritan sees the man, he saw him and had compassion. Jesus is telling us here, our neighborly love does not know the bounds of political or national or religion. Our love for our neighbor transcends those. We're not called to only love our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're not only called to love our family. We're not only called to love our fellow countrymen. We are called to love anyone we are able to, anyone God places in our path. The Samaritan saw the man and had compassion. We see that this Samaritan is marked by compassion, and we ask ourselves, well, who else do we often see respond to people with compassion? Jesus. Jesus is often responding to people with compassion. Compassion is what led Jesus to heal people and then feed the crowds. He looks out and he sees people and he has compassion on them. So he acts. Compassion is what led the Samaritan to act. And compassion is not just a feeling. Mm, I don't like this feeling. I want to help. But compassion is a feeling that leads to action. And boy, did the Samaritan act. Sacrificially, he acted. First, he did what he could right on the spot. He sees him, he's bleeding, he binds up his wound, he pours oil on him to help. I think many of us would stop here. Well, I did what I can, I'm not a doctor. I bound him up, I helped him where I was, but the Samaritan doesn't stop there. He puts him on his own animal, which means he now has to walk. So he gives up his own comfort and brings the Samaritan with him. Brings him to an inn. But he doesn't stop there either. Again, I think we would, we would often be tempted to stop at any of these places. The Samaritan doesn't stop. When he's at the inn, now he's safe from the dangers of travel, has a little more time. Uh, he continues to care for the man. And the next day, so he cared for him a full day. The next day when he's going to go, again, he doesn't stop. He takes two denarii and gives it to the innkeeper and says, keep caring for the man. Now, a denarii is about what you would earn with a day's worth of work. So if we very conservatively translate that into today's money, we're talking about a few hundred dollars. And depending on what your job is, upwards of that. So he he takes out a significant amount of money and gives it to the innkeeper and says, let him keep staying there and keep taking care of him. But he doesn't stop there either. He says, and if you spend more, if you need more, do it. Take care of him. Because by the way, I'm coming back and I'll pay what you owe, what I owe. I'll reimburse you for whatever it costs. This was not easy. This is not uh, a small thing that the Samaritan did. It cost him. It did not fit into his schedule. It didn't fit into his plan. Probably didn't fit into his budget. But to love your neighbor as yourself is to put yourself in their shoes and do what is best for them. To do what they really need. To take care of them as if you were fully in their situation. And this is a natural outpouring of the greatest commandment of loving God with all your strength. To use your ability and your power 
to practically care for others. Jesus asked the lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? Jesus isn't, he's asking the right question now. A question, it's designed to not let us off the hook. It doesn't show us who we don't have to love. He asks, who proved to be a neighbor? And the lawyer answers correctly. The one who showed mercy. The one who acts with compassion. It's not a trick question. The answer is clear. Everyone knows who the hero of this story is. Everyone knows who we're supposed to emulate. The answer is, where the fulfillment of loving your neighbor as yourself is to be a neighbor to whoever God places in your life. Jesus answers the lawyer by saying, you've asked the wrong question. The right question to ask is, how can I be a neighbor? Or, who can I be a neighbor to? Finally, let's try to find ourselves in the parable. We all know as we read this, we all know who the hero is. We all know who the one to emulate is. That's the Samaritan. This is the one we are supposed to be like. Go and do likewise. But if we are honest with ourselves, we know that at the very best, sometimes often, maybe more often than not, we look like the priest and a Levite. We are quick to walk by on the other side of the road. But we want to. We want to look at how can we become like the Samaritan. That's the hero of the story. That's who we want to emulate. So as we think about that, as we find ourselves knowing we want to be like the Samaritan, I realize this is incredibly difficult. We are tempted by so many things that allow us to ignore people. I don't have time. I don't have the resources. There are other people that can help better than I can. I don't know what to do. This is too much of an inconvenience. These are all reasons that we give ourselves. These are common reasons that we give ourselves. There are other reasons that we give that reveal much deeper problems in our hearts. We can justify ourselves by saying they deserve what they got. If they would budget their money better, they wouldn't have ended up like this. If they would have traveled in a group, they wouldn't have gotten robbed. If they would have made better choices in life, they would be just like me and not need help. Now, I resonate with and am convicted by this parable and these reasons. In fact, one of the, one of the really cool things about preaching these past few weeks is that I have been convicted by the Lord as he speaks to me through his word. This sermon in particular has been incredibly convicting. In fact, just this past Friday, as I was writing the sermon or attempting to write the sermon, I was confronted with a situation where I found myself face-to-face with a neighbor who needed help. And it took much more than I would like to admit to stop writing my sermon and to go use my time and my energy and my resources and to help the person. I wanted to say, no, I have to write a sermon. I'm going to have to stand up here and I have to have something to say. I wanted to say, there are other people that can do it better. There are people that can help more than I can, who know how to handle situations better than I do. And then I thought, how can I write a sermon 
about the Good Samaritan while I ignore a neighbor right here in front of me. So I did my best. And I had help. I wasn't on my own. And I'm still not sure that I loved this neighbor the way they should have. I did feel compassion and I was moved to act. But I don't know if I loved like Jesus loved. And I don't mean that in a false sense of humility. Like where we say, well, Jesus is perfect and Jesus would have handled the situation perfectly and I know I'm not perfect, but, you know, I did my best. No, I'm, I mean, I struggle with thinking, did I look more like the priest and the Levite? Did I do the bare minimum so that I didn't have to feel bad as I preached this sermon? Did I, did I stop where the Samaritan continued? Did I give a little bit? Was I a little bit inconvenienced, but unwilling to love like this person really needed it? This is hard. We need the love of Jesus to permeate our lives and empower us to love our neighbor. There are other reasons we give ourselves as well, so that we don't have to love. We think they don't really need our help. They're just trying to scam me. Maybe. But if we lead with cynicism, we will miss people who need help. We will justify our lack of love for other people because we blame it on other people's sin. But if we lead with compassion, we may be burned sometimes, but it is better to be burned than to be loveless. Or we falsely believe someone doesn't deserve our love or our help because they are our enemy. And so we say things like, I hope they get what they deserve. Good riddance. I certainly won't help them because they would never help me. But remember, our story, our hero in this story is a Samaritan. He certainly could have said to the man, of the man, this guy's a Jew. He wouldn't stop and help me. He doesn't care about me. Why should I help him? And also remember that Jesus says in Matthew 5, 44, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. These reasons we give ourselves, they're not loving our neighbors as ourselves. Instead, it's falsely believing that we have more power and control over our own lives than we do. And if others acted like we acted, then they would have control over their lives as well. We have a false sense of control and of power. But the reality is, is that God has placed us where we are. God is sovereign over our good choices and God is sovereign over our bad choices and our sin. When we look at people with compassion, as the Samaritan did, we will be moved to help them. We'll realize that God has placed us in this time and in this place with these abilities and with these resources that we are to love the neighbor that God has placed in our paths. God has saved us by grace, and by grace he has placed you where you are. I've been thinking a lot about how fragile our lives are, how we can do everything right, and in an instant our lives are changed. This man in the story, all he was doing was taking a journey, and he was robbed. That right there, that could be your story. Like not even having to to go and bring other things in. You could be robbed, you could be beaten. And your life could be changed. Traveling is still incredibly dangerous. 
You could get in a car and through no fault of your own have a life-changing accident. I know someone who has Lyme, Lyme disease, which is often gotten by a tick bite. You just do something mundane. You get a, a tick, you pick it off, you move on, and your life has been forever changed. I know someone who had a, a flesh-eating bacteria get in their arm, and they have no idea how. But in a few hours, they went from totally healthy to almost dying, having to have a lot of their muscle removed. They still don't know how, but they have to, to live now with the reality of their arm not working right. Most people are one or two paychecks away from being completely broke. A layoff happens, a company that was doing well goes under, all of a sudden your life is different. Sure, there might be some things that we can do, some steps that we can take to prevent some of this or to make it less likely to happen, but the reality is, is you are not in control of your life. I am not in control of my life. Why do I bring this up? My hope is that this will help us give compassion to our neighbors. It will help us see more people as our neighbors. When we love our neighbors as ourselves, we place ourselves in their shoes. There's an old saying that gets put in a Facebook meme and gets passed around. It says, uh, everyone is fighting a battle that you don't know, so be kind. Or it says things like smile to people. I want to take it further because Jesus goes further. I want to say, everyone is fighting a battle that you don't know. So get to know their battle and fight with them. If they're too weak, fight for them. As I say this, I say this to me as well as to you. See your neighbor. Have compassion. Step into their world. We do this because we recognize that this is what Jesus has done for us. So as we know who the hero of the story is, we know it's Samaritan, that's the one that we are to emulate. We try to place ourselves and we say we want to be the Samaritan. First, I want us to see that before we can become the good Samaritan, we must recognize that we were the man who was robbed. That Jesus is the good Samaritan. We have been robbed by our sin. Our sin has robbed us of our joy. It has robbed us of life. Except for this, this robbing is self-inflicted. Because all of us has said, have said, this is sin, I know it's sin, and I do it anyway, because I think it's good. And in fact, we don't even know that we've been robbed and that we're half dead until Jesus comes along and opens our eyes. Until Jesus walks by and chooses to step into our lives. He comes in and he shows us what love is. Earlier, Kevin read, and I'll read again. This is from John 4, 7 through 12. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. 
We didn't even know what real love was until Jesus came by. When we see that we are the man lying on the side of the road dying, we have no hope without Jesus. This man could not save himself, nor could we save ourselves. But Jesus shows, you, shows us this is what love is. And now that we have seen what love is, we know how to love other people because we know what it looks like. And not only that, not only do we know what love looks like, but now we are freed to love because we don't have to worry about our time or our resources or our abilities because we recognize that all of these things belong to God in the first place. Galatians 2.20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. We know our life is not our own. We have been bought with a price, and we're now being transformed into the image of God. So we know what love for our neighbor looks like because we have seen Jesus. And we are empowered and enabled to love our neighbor because we have the Holy Spirit who lives in us. So if you don't know Jesus, what I want you to do is I want you to see his love for you. He walks by while you are bleeding and dying. And he steps into your life and he saves you. Not just by bandaging your wounds, but by dying the death that you deserve and giving his life and his righteousness for you. So my encouragement to you is turn from your sins and turn and trust in Jesus, the living God. If you already have trusted in Jesus, then go empowered by the Holy Spirit and love your neighbor as yourself. Remember your helplessness before God and worship him for his saving love and compassion on you. As we turn now to the Lord's table, I want us to come in communion with the Lord, loving him because he first loved us, knowing that that love leads us to love other people. So let's come thankful that we are forgiven for our lack of love. Let's come empowered by the Spirit to love him more and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Here at Chatham, we practice open communion, which means if you are a believer in Jesus, if you trust him for your salvation, then please come and take. You may come forward. We have communion up here. Or if you're not able to come forward, we have prepackaged communion packets in the back. Or you can raise your hand and an elder will bring communion to you. If you're in the balcony, there's communion up there so you don't have to come down. So as we come, come and worship. Let's pray. Lord, we come before you and we are thankful for your love, your compassion that you have given to us. Lord, you see us, you have seen us in our helpless state and you have shown mercy. God, you sent your son so that we can live, to die the death that we deserved. Lord, we thank you, we worship you. Lord, we also think about our neighbors. Lord, we ask that you would empower us to go out and to love as you have loved us.